How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to Generation X Lapsed, episode 10, where we're done with volume 2. We're back into volume 1 here. This is uh, the half-hearted attempt at a uh, Rebirth Me Too in Marvel Legacy. So let's get right into it. Today we're going to be looking at Generation X number 85 at a February 2018 cover date. We actually have a story title this time. It's the first time we've had one of these uh, to this point. Story's called Survival of the Fittest Part 1. It doesn't say that anywhere inside the book, it's just on the cover. Written by Christina Strain, with art by Emil Carpina. Colors, Felipe Sobraro, letters, VCs, Clayton Cowles. Edits, Robinson, Shan, Panizia, and Alonzo. Cover price, $3.99. This one went on sale December 20th of 2017. Now, as always, we open with our roll call, and today we're going to be paying attention to Jubilee, Bling, Kid Omega, Nature Girl, Morph, Hindsight, and iBoy. And we open somewhere in the Atlantic. Quentin Choir is laid out on a beach blanket, maybe on Kid Krakoa's back, maybe. I don't know, uh, I'm not sure if Kid Krakoa has a sandy side, or if uh, he's just meant to be elsewhere. Anyway, Kid Krakoa's Wi-Fi coverage must be pretty good, as QQ is getting a ton of text messages from Benji asking where he's at. Quentin tosses the phone over his shoulder, not wanting to deal with any of it. Over to the Xavier Institute of Jalapeno Deseeding, Kite Flying, and Build-A-Bear Technology, where Paige is knocking at Jubilee's door. Now, Call Me Jubes tells her to be quiet because they had just gotten Shogo to sleep. Paige realizes pretty quick that the they she's talking about are her and Jono, which might be kind of awkward, right? Uh, seeing as, you know, how tight Paige and Jono were like a hundred years ago. Though, I mean, since then, they've I think they've both been with other people. Uh, heck, Paige even engaged in uh, sexual relations in the sky with Warren Worthington while her parents watched. Anyway, Paige seems more surprised that Chamber is good with the kiddo than anything else. Then, they walk together into the kitchen, and we see just how big a slob Jubilee is. Paige starts washing the overflowing sink full of dishes and reveals the real reason that she's here. She wants to talk about Monet. Now, they do talk a bit here about how, you know, Shogo is kind of petrified of uh, Jubilee right now, since he saw her chowing down on Chamber's arm last issue. But we're going to get more of that as we uh, go on here. First, though, we shift scenes outside, where Benji and Nate are sat at a picnic table talking about the disappearance of Quentin Choir. We get to see some X-Men wallpaper shuffle around the background, including Glob Herman, Gray Malkin, Anole, and that girl with the wings. 
but not Pixie. Uh, this is this is the one with the blue skin, uh, shorter haircut. Uh, I'm guessing she's probably one of the Skate 800 2000s era new X-Men with like the short two-syllable name, like Indra, Loa, Gentle. Maybe she's one of those. I don't know. Anyway, Roxy and iBoy wander up and comment that it's nice to see that these two crazy kids have finally gotten together as a couple. Nathaniel stammers a bit and informs them that he and Benji, they're, they're just friends, just good friends right now. This causes Ben to get up and slump-shoulderedly walk away. Before we get to the next page, we have a Marvel Legacy value stamp. Ooh, how about that? It's the Falcon. So uh, everything old is half-assedly new again. Thank you, Marvel Legacy. Back to the comic. Roxy comments that she feels like she just kicked a puppy since, uh, you know, Benji walked away. To which, Nate explains why he and Benji, as a relationship, is uh, something that can never be. He speaks of an old relationship he was in and how sideways it went due to his roguish mutant abilities. Roxy, uh, well, she listens, but then she basically just tells him to cut the crap right here, and uh, thank goodness she does. She tells him that he can't let a bad experience ruin what might be a good one with Benji. She also accuses him of projecting his last relationship onto Ben, as though he sees it as a self-fulfilling prophecy of a disastrous endeavor. Now, just as things are getting good, friggin' Nature Girl casually walks over to her mark on the stage in order to deliver her line. She says the trees are shivering, and the owls aren't quite what they seem. Uh, She didn't say that last part. Uh, She says an eerie chill this way comes, basically. And just then, we see on what would appear to be a different plane of reality, but overlapping with the one we're reading, M-Plate and DOA, they're walking across the school grounds. But nobody can see them. They're on a different plane. But as they walk by, we get to see a little bit more uh, X-Men wallpaper. We got Pixie, Dust, Oya, Surge, and some blonde girl. Oh, uh, Nature Girl also informs the crew that she watched as Kid Omega and Krakoa left the school grounds. And so it's time to shift scenes. We head into Jubilee's dorm again, or suite, or whatever. Lynn delivers the news that QQ and KK walked out of Central Park, across Manhattan's east side, past Rikers Island, through the Long Island Sound, then into the Atlantic Ocean. It's a heck of a trip, I tell you. Um, I think maybe we're thinking that Manhattan is like right there in the Atlantic. Uh, Lynn states that a little bird told her about this because, of course, it did. Now off to the side, Shogo is throwing what looks like spaghetti at Chamber while Nathaniel looks on. Jubilee asks Jono if he'll look after her class and her kid while she goes after Quentin. She then tells Shogo that she's leaving for a bit, and the terrified toddler throws his entire bowl of the spaghetti-like substance over her head. We follow Jubilee into her bedroom, and, well, so does Chamber. They walk for a bit, they talk for a bit, then they get lost in each other's eyes. And then they kiss. Well... Sorta. I mean, Jono still has his scarf on, and, um, well, he also doesn't actually have a mouth. So it might be more accurate to suggest that they romantically bumped faces? Maybe? Whatever the case, this was witnessed by Hindsight, who doesn't even bother to beat around the bush here. He's all, uh, yeah, you know, I saw everything. Don't worry about it, though. You guys are allowed to be lovey-dovey if you want to be. I'm not gonna, you know, spill the beans if you don't want me to. He then tells Jubilee that he needs to speak with her alone. What do they got to talk about? Well, maybe we'll find out next time. Because we got a scene shift again. Now we're going to the counseling office, which I suppose is at the school and not in Midtown Manhattan, despite the locational confusion a couple issues back. Anyway, Paige is meeting here with her only client, Roxy, who is, uh, and she's sort of kind of doing everything they tell you not to do when you're in training to be a counselor or a therapist. 
Uh, there are, are some leading questions here, which, you know, I get it. That happens sometimes. Um, we're trained to ask, you know, open-ended questions. That's kind of the go-to in the motivational interview, you know. That's to say, you know, questions that can't be answered with a simple yes or no response because that usually just stops the conversation right there, right? It's like, do you like this, yes or no? No. Okay, well, then you have to elaborate. So you ask the open-ended questions. And in fairness, they do sometimes come across as a little bit leading. Then, as Roxy breaks down into tears a bit, uh, Paige hands her a box of tissues... And this, at least in the classes I took, was the classic beginner's trap that a professor would lay for you. You know, there would be a box of tissues on the table for our role plays, and, uh, you know, you don't think anything of it. You know, that's kind of the pop culture thing. That's the view of a counselor or a therapist or a psychologist. They're going to have the box of tissues there. And so, for these role plays, when tears, real or fake, because sometimes they got very real in role play... When those tears would begin to flow as part of the exercise, the professor would wait to see if the mock therapist would offer the mock client the tissues. When they inevitably would, the professor would call a timeout. You see, in handing the box of tissues over, you're doing one of two things. Well, one of several things, I guess, but for the purposes of this bit, we'll say two. One, you're validating the crying. You're legitimizing it, telling the client that it's the proper response. Not a good thing, not a bad thing, but it is leading in a way. Conversely, a client may see the offer as a like a nonverbal way of the therapist telling them to stop crying. And uh, neither of these is ideal, so um, we were trained just to not hand over the box of tissues. You know, have them available, of course, if the client asks for one, oblige, but don't be the one to to make the offer. So this is a comic book, though, uh, so we will allow it. Now, the gist here is that Roxy is still reeling from her run-in with M-Plate, and she's worried about her future with or without the X-Men. If only she knew she's only like a year and a half away from being a fallen angel. You want a reason to cry, Roxy? There's, there's some reason to cry. From here, we go back over to the foyer, where Benji is ticked that nobody bothered to tell him where Quentin went off to. Lynn suggests that this reaction is due to the fact that uh, Benji's got the hot pants for Quentin. Eyeboy corrects her, claiming that Benji's actually got the hot pants for Nathaniel. Lynn doesn't see it, and wonders aloud why it is that uh, Benji follows Quentin around like a puppy all the time. Benji dramatically puts his hands on his hips and lectures Lynn about how being gay doesn't mean you can't have any guy friends. And uh, you also can't catch it from drinking out of the same bottle or using the same toilet. Uh, he, he actually didn't say that last bit. Benji then storms out to drag QQ's emo ass back home. But, outside, the school grounds have been absolutely overrun by ghosts Not only ghosts, ghosts who speak Korean. The ghosts can't seem to see the Gen X kids. Uh, iBoy confirms this. Then we see the same scene from the ghosts' point of view, and it would appear as though they are normal Xavier School students, at least from the looks of it. But to them, the school has vanished. Iboy deduces that this dimensional unsinking means that Monet is nearby. And that's a power I didn't realize that uh, M-Plate had, is the unsinking of uh, dimensions. Maybe, maybe I just missed it. Then, the school explodes. Well, part of the school does, and I'm guessing uh, that this probably wasn't referred to in any of the other X-Men books that came out this month. But I, you know, I might be mistaken. Inside, Chamber Jubilee and Husk hear the big racket and rush off into the hallway where they find M-Plate 
talking to those, uh, uh, you know, gross um, mouth vampire mouth hand thing that uh, is sucking on marrow. Uh, not the character marrow, though, honestly, I'm not sure which would be more disturbing. Jono pulls down his scarf to be all dramatic. Roxy has a panic attack and drops to her knees. Monet then hears a little bit of crying, and she wonders when they, dis- when they began admitting toddlers to the Xavier School. And so she follows that sound, and she enters the chemistry lab where iBoy, Nathaniel, Benji, and Lynn are hiding with Shogo. I-, I thought they were all outside. And then there was an explosion. So, so they ran back inside toward the explosion with Shogo? Okay, then. Um, that's where we leave it. We got two issues to go. Which kind of begs the question, uh, do you think the axe already fell on this one at this point? Do you think when Christina Strain was writing uh, what would have been issue 10, I suppose, of volume 2, which was changed into issue 85 of the overall (laughs) Generation X volume, do you think she knew that this was uh, winding down? I bet they probably did. I figure they probably knew, and uh, this is just a quick way to tie everything up here. Which, I mean... You know, it's a good thing that they're able to do something like that. Uh, Anytime a book gets canceled or is announced as being on the chopping block or officially canceled, that's when I start start getting caught up in the scenery. I start uh, noticing things that probably aren't there. Well, maybe they are there, but sometimes they're probably not. I look for the signs of truncation. I look for things that might be omitted, things that might be conveniently rushed into place in order to... um, allow the creator to not let go of their opus, right? Um, If anybody listening to this has uh, listened to Reggie and I discuss the Young Animal books over on the uh, Young Animal Gatherum here on the channel, those books were announced as being uh, canceled, and then, boy, the books kind of, like, crumpled into place. You know, wholesale bits were removed from the stories, Arcs were uh, squished into a half issue. It was, like, really, really jarring. And it didn't make for a very satisfying reading experience. I could totally understand the frustration of a creator who has the story that they want to tell, have the story that the respective comic book company said they could tell, and then having that rug pulled out from under them. So I can totally understand that. And I remember uh, particularly with uh, Shade the Changing Girl, or Shade the Changing Woman, as it would become, I remember thinking to myself, you know, as this thing was winding down, that there was a good story in there, but the fact that the creator would not let anything go from her original pitch, and a lot of this is me projecting here, but... uh, in the earlier issues, we had a whole bunch of uh, concepts and ideas just introduced, and uh, you look at those concepts and ideas, and you figure with the way your comics are written nowadays, all decompressed, written for the trade, it's like, okay, well, that's like several years worth of stories. You know, just in the first two issues, we're introduced to all this great stuff, all this potentially interesting stuff that would get us through to issue 25, 30, you know, at least... But the book was canceled at number six, so, you know, a lot of, uh, you'd figure a lot of trimming would have to be uh, done to make it work, and maybe save some stories for another time, right? Maybe we'll hold out hope that whatever comic company will come to their senses, or maybe there'll be a resurgence of excitement toward a property, or maybe the CW will decide to do a friggin' Shade the Changing Girl TV show, who the hell knows? But... Instead of leaving some things by the wayside to be revisited later on, 
Everything was crammed in there. So all of these concepts were just jammed into these into the last four issues of this series, which it wasn't. It didn't do anybody any favors here. It made the story feel weak. It made the story feel just so unnatural. And um, and it also you know closed the door on revisiting this character anytime soon. Um, I mean, who's to say that a character couldn't come back around? You know, it happens all the time. It happened with the X Men, right? So uh, I look at a book like this, which, I mean, we've got two issues left. I'm, I'm guessing Strain probably knows that uh, time is of the essence here. So we're, we're getting everything kind of woven together. But it's, at first blush here, it feels like it's being done in a very organic way here. At the end of this, I would assume that we're going to have the Quentin Choir thing wrapped up. We're going to have some sort of resolution with Benji and Nathaniel. We're going to have the Monet thing worked out. I mean, those are our big things here, right? Those are the three big things that we've run into in this volume so far. Thankfully, it wasn't just like an embarrassment of riches insofar as concepts and ideas. It's Those are our main three things, the main three thrusts of this uh, volume. So it looks like they're all coming together here. And I, uh, I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I have all the faith in the world that they will come together in some sort of a satisfying way. Oh, and how could I forget uh, the fourth takeaway here? Uh, Bling, Roxy's uh, you know inferiority complex here, which is also kind of bubbling in the background here. It it works, you know. We've got two issues to go. That's like what forty pages. <laughs> so hopefully, over the course of the next two issues, we will see some uh, some really good stuff here. Some stuff that'll leave us maybe not you know with our socks rocked, but uh, at least satisfied in that uh, we read something and. Uh, we maybe don't have to revisit it again, but we, we learned something here. And we also know that Jubilee will be defanged at some point in the next couple of issues. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, I think I've already given my thoughts on the Marvel Legacy uh, initiative overall. I feel like it's half-assed. Uh, they saw what DC was uh, reaping the benefits of finding the lapsed fan with uh, their Rebirth initiative and was like, ooh, we want some of that. And uh, I guess they went on the internet and was like, why, why do the lapsed fans not like us? Oh, we reboot all the time. Oh, okay, okay, so how about, we, uh, how about we go back to legacy numbering here? And we'll also make these really, really cringy ads that make it look like a, like a millennial take on an old-school uh, house ad. We'll just, we'll do that. That'll, that'll make everything better. And uh, we certainly won't forget about this initiative in the next, you know, month and a half, two months. But, uh, well, they did. <laughs> They really, really did. Um, and it's a shame because uh, this was one of the things that made me a little bit excited for uh, for a potential return to uh, to the Marvel fold after walking away. Uh, when I heard about Legacy, it was, you know, my uh, my spidey sense tingled, right? It was like, oh, you know, I that might be uh, that might be the my my entry, my entryway back into the uh, into the fandom over there. But uh, then something happened. Um, I, I, I've talked at length, or not at length, but repetitively, <laughs> repeatedly, there's the word. I've talked repeatedly about uh, how I get my comics. I get them through mail order from DCBS. And occasionally, they'll throw something in there, either by mistake or as a freebie to me. And uh, one time, I, I'm guessing that they probably ordered a uh, surplus of this book in order to get some sort of ridiculous variant cover or something, but... Uh, they sent me an issue, a copy of uh, Marvel Legacy Number 1, the uh, thing that was supposed to kick off the Legacy Initiative, and I uh, 
And I didn't order it, but I was like, oh, you know, it's like a 6 or $7 book. They sent it to me for free. I'll at least flip through it. And I didn't really recognize anything inside it. So um, that's where my hopes were dashed with the legacy thing. And then I remember getting excited for Generation X in particular because of the lenticular cover that was for this very issue, actually, for issue 85. It's uh, basically a, um, a, a new take on the Chris Pachalo Generation X number one cover just with our more contemporary characters in those positions. And it was like, oh, that looks so cool. You know, and it's like, that's, you know, my wheelhouse right there, and they're they're paying tribute to that. I never thought I'd see that book on the racks again, and, oh boy, I was so excited for it. And I'm pretty sure by the time that issue came out, they already announced that it was canceled. So it's like, why why am I going to get invested? Why, I don't even know why they wasted the... Uh, I don't know why they wasted their time uh, shifting this back to legacy numbering here. Just let it go to volume two, number 12, can it, and uh, tag it and bag it, and we'd be done with it. But now I've kind of gone all over the place, and I haven't even really discussed the issue we just read. So let's do a little bit of that here. Um, I did talk a bit about the, uh, the therapy session between Paige and Roxy. While not, you know, accurate to the way I was trained, I mean, that's... That's, uh, you know, anecdotal at best here. I know that people have different methodologies when it comes to that sort of thing, so I would never say mine, the one that I was trained with, is the correct one or even the incorrect one, but it's just the one that I know. So to me, it came across as inaccurate or inefficient, um, potentially problematic, even though I don't like that word very much, but uh, to other people, it may have rang perfectly true. You know, other people who went through the same sort of uh, education as me might have seen that and been like, yeah, that's how it goes. So, I mean, that's just a me thing. That's a Chris problem right there that I uh, can't seem to let go. But uh, other than that, we finally get Jubilee and Chamber kissing. I think uh, we've been waiting for that scene to play out uh, the whole time we've been reading this uh, this new take on Generation X. It seemed inevitable and... Um, it was handled okay. I think uh, that it's it's kind of an organic relationship here. They know each other for such a long time, and uh, they're seeing each other now as grown-ups. And they still have some baggage from their youth, but it's a, it's a to- totally different dynamic now. They're not the students anymore. They're the teachers. They're looked up to. They're uh, respected in, in a way, right? And they see each other, and they see what each other have gone through, and there's a respect there and an admiration there, and... Uh, Looks like a little bit of hot, hot pantedness there as well, and uh, I think it was handled quite well here. Also, the uh, budding Benji Nathaniel uh, will they won't they relationship. I liked the way that was handled too. Um, Nathaniel's definitely you know protesting a bit too much here, right? He's uh, making sure everyone knows you know hey we're not a couple, we're not a couple. You know he's he's not denying that there's an attraction there. He's not a t- he's not denying that there's a uh, a mutual admiration there. It's just that they're not a couple, and he's he spun himself into the altruist, right? He's going to do without in order not to hurt the other person, right? He's had bad he's had a bad relationship, and he's taking from that experience and projecting it onto Benji, which is a very teenagery thing to do. I, you know, it's a very adult, it's a very human thing to do. Um, Things like uh, projection and transference, those are very real things in life where you can, you can project thoughts onto people. You can project an identity onto people. You can project experiences onto people. So that's an easy 
trap to fall into here, and I think it's being handled quite well here. I think this is where Christina Strange shines. It's not so much in the superhero work, right? Um, It's not even so much in the uh, maintaining a large cast, because... As I've mentioned time and again here, it's like there are little X's taped to the ground outside the Xavier School where when somebody has to deliver a line, they step up to that X and deliver that damn line. So that's not where I think she excels, but in this interpersonal sort of relationship here, it works, and it sounds very natural. I mean, we always give uh, Bendis credit for capturing uh, realistic voices of the youth, right? This, to me, felt kind of like that. We've got uh, Nathaniel explaining everything to Roxy and Highboy, and Roxy's like, ah, cut the crap. You know, she calls him right out on it, has no time for his nonsense, and tries to set him straight, you know? And it's like, you can't hold that against him. You know, this is, you're missing out now. You're, you're, you're actually robbing yourself of a potentially good experience and robbing someone else who you claim to care about of a, of a you know, rewarding experience. So cut it out. Get over yourself. And, uh... I think it worked quite well in driving that point home. It was just a, it felt like a conversation you would either overhear or be a part of. And uh, in, in that much, uh, I will give it a thumbs up for sure. Our big threat here with Monet, um, I'm not sure about the reality altering powers. I didn't remember, maybe that's something that she can do. I, I didn't think she could. I didn't think, uh, maybe it's just a, maybe it's DOA who can do it. I don't know <laughs> if you remember this better than I do. Please feel free to reach out and, and set me straight because uh, this this seems a little weird and it seems kind of out of nowhere. Which is one of those reasons why I'm thinking like, okay, they knew you know the axe had fallen at this point. And they gotta, you know, the, the the hook is coming. You know, you gotta take it home before you're yanked off the stage. Um, a little bit of the linear storytelling is is wonky, as I've complained about a few times. Not complained about. I've observed. I've observed and uh, made mention of. Throughout this trip here Things like Where the hell's Paige's office? Is it in uh, Is it in the school? Is it in Somewhere else in Manhattan? Because It looks like it's in Both places or neither places Right? We don't know how people get from point A to point B We go from a scene where uh, Where the kids are outside the school There's an explosion To five seconds later And they're in the chemistry lab Inside the school How did that happen? Why did they Why did that happen? That just seems I don't know Kinda amateur hour in as far as uh, telling a linear story So uh, maybe it's just me Maybe it's just me, I don't know But uh, I think those are my thoughts for this issue here uh, Amilk Arpina's work uh, Still not my cup of tea um, I will say that I've come around to it A bit more than I thought I would uh, Especially, you know, when we started this little trip Because I was definitely Not a fan of it in the earlier issues here Right now, I'm um, you know, it's not rocking my socks. It's also not. Uh, it's also not setting me on fire. So it's just kind of, just kind of there. But I think that's all I got. If uh, you agree or disagree, I would love for you to let me know. You can reach out to me a number of different ways. You could find me on Twitter at Ace Comics. You could find me on Instagram at Nineties X Men, or you can shoot me an email over to WeirdComicsHistory at gmail.com. You can find blog posts and show notes over at Chris'sOnInfiniteEarth.com. You could join us on Facebook at Nineties X Men. And for all your Chris and Reggie comics listening needs, including that entire Young Animal Gatherum that I talked about earlier, those the language there is a little bit saltier than uh, you're accustomed to, so uh, listen, uh, listener discretion is advised. But uh, you can find all that stuff at chrisandreggie.podbean.com, and you can find it anywhere, Apple or Google or any of those 
conglomerate giants uh, aggregate noise on the internet. That's where you can find it. And if you like what you hear there, or at least appreciate the effort behind it, I would love for you to leave me a message or spread the word, share the show, all that good stuff. It would really, really mean a lot. Speaking of which, it means a lot to me that you'd spend a little bit of your day with me today listening to me talk about uh, Marvel Legacy. (laughs) Thank you all so, so much. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.